This is an AMI podcast. Welcome, welcome. This is Low Vision Moments. It is the podcast all about those sometimes frustrating, potentially embarrassing, but often pretty comical things that happen when you're just going about your day with blindness, a visual impairment, or albinism. In this episode, we're going to focus, really hone in on albinism, and we'll discuss the elusive albino mafia. What the hell is that? Well, that's exactly what my guest and I are here to hash out today. This guest is a fellow food and music and craft beer enthusiast. I call myself an enthusiast as opposed to something like an aficionado, only because that would suggest I know what it is I'm talking about and I really don't. I just enjoy a good beer. My guest may have a differing opinion of themselves. We'll let them chime in in a moment. But we get to work together, this guest and I. We've done so for many years here at AMI. And most recently, they're the host of their own damn TV show on AMI-TV. It's called Now with Dave Brown. I've just given away his name by telling you the name of his show. But you can catch that weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern. They discuss anything you want to hear about, really. All the interesting stuff, the latest news, entertainment, sports, current events, all with that disability lens. It's informative. It's entertaining all wrapped in a lovely package. Now, I've already, like I said, given away their name, but Dave Brown, at last, my friend, welcome to Low Vision Moments. Jenny, it's my great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Yes, the show does have my name in it. Uh, They named it that and then hired me, so it really limited their uh, research pool. (laughs) Dave, you won't admit that you're a big deal, but you really are, and part of the reason, I have to, full disclosure here, part of the reason and it's taken so long to have you on is because I wanted to figure out what I'm doing, figure out how to do this podcast thing and and uh, get a little better at it before I brought the big bad guru of talking into microphones, Dave Brown. So thanks for coming on, Dave. What else do you want the people to know about you? Uh, well, I like that you use the word enthusiast. And by the way, thank you for the kind words. Uh, you are a tremendous broadcaster yourself. So uh, no need to have waited this long, but, but I'm always happy to be here. Uh, I like the word that you used, enthusiast. Is that almost like somebody saying they play guitar versus being a guitarist that you don't necessarily get to call yourself a full-blown musician other than someone who can pluck a few chords away on a guitar there could be something there and definitely when it comes to the craft beer considering i'm the person who walks in there and will ask the brewmaster what's the uh, lightest beer you have what's the closest thing you have to an amber or a lager yeah i i think probably enthusiast might even be a little generous uh in terms of your description of me but yeah jenny broadcaster um someone who really loves working in this industry, um, spend a lot of my time thinking about it and doing it. Uh, I am someone who is a passionate sports fan. I love food. I love drinks. Um, I love spending time with my friends. I am a concert goer, a lover of music, as you pointed out. I've already got a couple exciting concerts uh, coming down the pipeline this year with uh, the Blink-182 tour coming through Toronto, as well as Death Cab for Cutie passing through Toronto for my first trip to Massey Hall. And I might even follow Death Cab for Cutie a little bit is they're doing a couple uh, retro single album shows across parts of the U.S. later in the year. So it might not just be uh, music lover Dave Brown. It could be almost like groupie Dave Brown wow. as I follow them around America. 
Wow, that's a hell of a plan. I, I, I'm a little jealous. I don't have many concerts booked yet. I, uh, I'm going to a few comedy shows this year, though, so I'm pretty pumped about that. I'm going to see uh, Jimmy Carr later in uh, May, so that's exciting. I Okay, well, let's backtrack for just a second, and I don't want to get too off topic. We'll get to the meat and bones of this conversation in a second. But you mentioned uh, someone who plays guitar as opposed to someone who is a guitarist, and and when when I kind when people ask me, oh, you have you have guitars in your house, or I see a guitar hanging there, or I see some tabs hanging around. Do you must play the guitar? I often respond that play <laughs> is even a strong word to describe what I do with the guitar. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 really one of these things that you have to be doing continuously, or else you really do lose it. I remember when I was younger, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, when I had nothing but time on my hands, I would play two three hours a day and there were probably a couple hundred songs rattling around my head whereas if you sat me down now with a guitar I might be able to pull 10 or 12 out of the memory bank but like that would be it that would be all and, and they would be pretty basic at that you got you got me beat with 10 or 12 so let's let's okay. move on <laughs> uh, that wasn't meant to be a brag <laughs> oh I'm just I'm just you know what no problem dave it's i can't be good at everything it's fine i'm an i'm an enthusiast of many things a professional of very few <laughs> we dabble a little bit of everything yes i don't even have calluses anymore but let's let's move on now we we're going to focus on albinism you and i are both people who live with albinism for those who may be new to the term i want to give a quick little albinism 101 and dave you can fill in anything that I forget that you think people should know. Sound good? Please. So albinism is a congenital condition. Congenital means that you are born with this condition. So Dave and I have some experience with it. We've had it our whole lives. And basically, now I should say there are a number of different types of albinism. There are different gene mutations that can cause slightly different types and manifestations of albinism. The two major ones that 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 we hear about are oculocutaneous albinism, which means the skin, hair, and eyes are all affected. And then we have ocular albinism, where exclusively the eyes are affected. So essentially with albinism, we don't have the right genes or the right combination of things to make pigment. And pigment is needed for hair color, skin color, protection from the sun, and development of the eyeballs. So our eyeballs often are underdeveloped and they don't work quite as intended. Um, a lot goes along with that. Different people have different levels of visual acuity with albinism. For me, my vision goes between 20 over 400 to 20 over 200. And that really means like I see 5 to 10% of what someone with really excellent vision sees. There are so many different ways to explain what we see. It's mm -hmm. not easy, but I think that's a bit of a quick rundown. What say you, Dave? Oh, Jenny, I think you nailed that through and through. I, I think especially when you got into the how you frame your level of sight can be very difficult to explain to people, to tell them, oh, it's it's 400 over 20, and they kind of look at you like, what, what does that mean? So I've definitely got in the habit of telling people, yeah, I see about 10% of what you see. Yeah, and, and, and I then, think that then, shocks people sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's follow ups, right? They're like, OK, but like put that into tangible terms. And I'm like, OK, hand me a piece of paper. 
and then I'll be or hand me the receipt over there, mm-hmm. and I'll be like, I can't read this receipt because all the font is too small. And then I'll hold it to my face, and I'll be like, Well, maybe I can pick up like a, a, a the number of the final total on the bill and the biggest font on the thing. So I'll tend to do a lot of demonstrations for people, especially if they're my friends, right? I, I at that point there's a very comfort and safe zone to do it. But I find that it's always easier to put these things in in a tangible sense for folks. Giving it context is super helpful for people because it's so difficult to describe how you see when you don't see how the majority of the population does. I think something that's been really helpful for people to sort of help uh, that helps people wrap their head around it is I'll also say something like what someone with perfect vision sees from 200 feet away when my vision is great with my glasses, I have to be 20 feet away to see it at the same accuracy. So mm, that's a great way to frame that. Yeah, it's a helpful one. So now you know all about albinism. And now we need to discuss what the hell does albino mafia mean? I'm sure we hooked some people just by saying the words albino mafia. Uh, and and I, I'm sure it means different things to me than what it means to Dave. There are probably some similarities in there. So I'm really excited to see um, how our views of this term differ. I don't even really know what it means, if I'm being honest. I've heard Dave Brown here throw it around a couple of times. So I've developed my own theories. So Dave, I'm going to tell you what I think. And oh, then, please. I love this. And then you're going to correct me. Okay. <laughs> okay. So for me, the albino mafia just describes the fact that those of us with albinism, we're part of a pretty mysterious and exclusive group. It's quite exclusive. We're like one in 20,000. That's that's not there aren't a lot of us. So we're working on the organized part. Mafia insinuates that we're organized in some way. I don't know that we're very organized, but we're a very exclusive group. Also, people on the outside, people who don't know someone with albinism or have a personal connection. A lot of people don't even know what the hell albinism is. And I I, I know for a fact that I'm often the first albino or person with albinism that someone has seen in their life in person in real life so that's a very real thing can you imagine seeing someone like i don't know al capone out on the street i feel like it's a similar like oh look an albino look al capone i don't know drew similarity there the the one other thing that i'll say here is that Yeah, people look at us with fascination, and that can be taken a number of different ways. But let me tell you, there are a lot of new people in my neighborhood. We've had a huge influx of people moving to Nova Scotia and Halifax in the last year. Something like 30,000 people have recently moved to my city. So I am getting a lot of looks at the grocery store from a lot of new people. And they look long enough that I can tell that they're looking. And I just look back at them and I say under my breath, albino mafia. No, I don't do that. I don't actually do that. But that's sort of my take. Like we're an exclusive group and we're mysterious. What What about you? Like what, where did it come from for you? 
Jenny, I love how much thought you've put into this because the first time you heard me use the expression albino mafia, it was probably the first time I'd ever used it. You're thinking about this whole big picture thing, whereas for me, it was kind of a passing throwaway line when you, myself, and a former colleague, Vivien Forêt, were all at a production summit at AMI headquarters back in the summer of 2015. And as we looked around the room of five bureau reporters, three of us were part three of us live with albinism and i think at just one point the three of us all agreed on something it was wardrobe or makeup or lighting and then i just sort of hit the table and said see the albino mafia has spoken <laughs> and as i recall like you were almost like a little aghast by it like you like like you certainly vivian was maybe a little gassed by it too and you're like what the heck is this guy talking about but but i do love the way you frame that though in the sense that like, we are a rarity. Like, we are present, but we are a rarity. And when you talk about 1 in 20,000, that doesn't necessarily factor in for other demographical changes, right? So that there may not be a lot of members of the albino mafia who are sort of within our age range. It's right across the spectrum of age groups. So I thought it was so fascinating in that moment where three people found each other. That was probably, other than being at a CNIB meeting or a Montreal Association for the Blind meeting, that was probably the first time I'd been in a room with multiple albinos. And I just kind of blurted it out thoughtlessly. And I love, love, love that almost eight years later, it's just something that has has grown in your imagination, but you are right to identify something. People will oftentimes tell me, oh, you're the first albino that I've ever spoken to. Maybe they've seen other albinos before, but I'm the first time they've actually been able to sort of treat as the, uh, as the sounding board for their questions or theories. And they'll tell you about the person they saw on the bus or the person they saw in the mall or the person that they saw in the store. And, and all of a sudden it does kind of create the sense of, Oh, I'm I'm connected to that different person, if only tangentially. Yeah, it and that's that that's that sort of unspoken connection, right? Mm. It's it's really it's really really interesting when you when you sit down and think about it. And Dave, I I didn't think it was that long ago that you first coined the term, <laughs> but all, for all of these years, and and you're right, you sort of hit it on the head where when you're in a group with when you're in a group of other people with albinism you they just kind of get it too like they just kind of mm -hmm. get it where mm -hmm. they're like ah let's let's lower the lights a little bit or like <laughs> ah, do we have to sit right next to the window can you know can we move into the dark part oh, of the restaurant my, instead my gosh and <laughs> jenny are you ready to write my autobiography or what here <laughs> like i i'm having those conversations often can i sit at this side of the table so the window is behind me oh my goodness every single time i go out to eat the people that know me well, they kind of wait to see where I want to sit. And then and, and, and if they don't know me well, then, yeah, it's it's that whole discussion of actually I need to I'm going to sit over here because otherwise I'm you're going to be a silhouette and I'm going to be a squinting mess and it's not going to be mm -hmm, a good time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How, have, have you gotten comfortable with the idea of just putting your sunglasses on in those moments? Yes. I have. I do try I do everything I can to avoid them because I, I will say that wearing sunglasses inside is not a big deal for me. Wearing a hat at the dinner table is not a big deal for me. If it's bright or whatever, I'll do what I need to do. But if if I'm putting my sunglasses on, there's a good chance I need to put a hat on to complete the 
not the look, but to complete the effect of of blocking out the the light coming in from the top or the sides of the glasses. I even have like the fit over sunglasses that fit over my regular glasses and they block out on the sides and all around. But if I'm wearing the shades, I often have to put the hat on too. And then it feels, it just feels like too much. So you better switch seats with me because. <laughs> yeah, it, it speaks to the difference between adapting to something that makes you uncomfortable versus actually just being in a situation that makes you comfortable, right? That why couldn't we just go sit 20 feet over there versus me, even with my sunglasses on, feeling a bit more comfortable rather than being totally comfortable. Right. And it, it doesn't, I mean, you want to feel natural and you don't want to stand out any more unnecessarily than you have to by putting on sunglasses in, in indoors. And I mean, mm-hmm. not that I care. I really don't care about standing out, but that's the thing, right? If we can just switch seats, let's just switch seats. Like <laughs> it's easy, easy yeah, peasy. Were you ever a nightclub person? Did you ever engage in like that nightclub lifestyle at all? <sighs> I tried. I, I, yeah, I, I tried. I mean, I used to, and, and I love live music. I love going to see and hear live music, but it's a love hate thing. And that's a place where I find myself wearing my sunglasses inside because people love a good light show for some reason. Uh, I, I for one do not. So I often actually find myself closing my eyes at concerts. Oh, do you do that? So I, I, I recently, not even recently, like, like about a decade ago to got a little bit more serious about the glasses that I would wear inside and started moving towards more tinted lenses on my eyeglasses. Like, like I'm looking at the eyeglasses you're wearing right now and they don't appear to have a tint on them. They seem to be pretty, pretty thin or no tint at all. They're not tinted at all. And people have been trying to get me to wear tinted glasses since I can remember. And I'm just too stubborn. I just won't do it. It's, But it's really delicate, right? It's Mm -hmm. a very delicate, because as soon as you get a little too dark, all of a sudden you lose a lot of functionality. You lose borderline functionality. So the Montreal Association for the Blind, they actually spent quite a bit of time with me in the chair one day just trying to get that balance right. Now, this was well past my going to nightclubs phase, but it is still in the I like going to concerts phase. And these eyeglasses that I have now, they're the ones that I wear on air every day, which also proved to be kind of serendipitous considering the lighting that goes on in the TV world. Um, they're actually great for those situations. So unless there's a real big blast of light or some real gnarly like spotlights, I'm generally pretty good now keeping the eyes open at the concert. That said, what appears to or what feels like open for me might still look quite squinty to somebody else. Fair enough. Yeah, I didn't know I was squinting for so many years. And mm. and and then I kind of mainly learned that I was squinting when I started doing TV. <laughs> I yeah, saw myself yeah. on camera and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm squinting that much. And that's when I really started wearing the the sunglasses uh, more religiously, but when I'm, I, I'm fascinated by the tint now. I might need to get a pair of tinted shades, uh, glasses rather, just to wear when I go see live music. Because for me, it's like it's not constant. It's when the lights are moving up and down and they're doing their funky light show. Like I, I don't, I can't really describe it. But there are times when it's just like a bleed blast of light, and I think yeah, we, yeah, yeah. I think that I don't know. That's a good tip. Especially when you get into some of the more EDM world. Uh, one year at Ottawa Blues Fest, they really got into an EDM stage. And I would go check it out from time to time, but I would have to retreat because it was just 
beasting strobe lights, right? It wasn't even that it, okay, the lights are brighter. It's a bit of like a laser light show. It was, no, no, no. We are trying to uh, hit you with a, a seizure uh, with these lights. So I was like, no, no, we, we even, no matter, no, no, no amount of sunglasses can help me with this. Now, I have to say another way that um, we're kind of like the mafia is that um, we can lose people pretty easily. We can like go incognito pretty easily. Not only like, so every time I leave the house, if I'm out in public, primarily I pretty well all the time, I'm always wearing sunglasses and a hat, even if it's not sunny out. If I'm outdoors, I've got the sunglasses and the hat. So I'm hiding my identity pretty well, first of all. People are like, hmm, who is that? I wonder. But I'm also pretty good at like losing people, especially at concerts. So I'll <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty adventurous and I'll wander off to what I think is a short distance away from the folks I'm with. And then poof, they're gone. And then I just have to hope for the best. Uh, Jenny, that is something I can empathize with deeply. It happens on small scales and it happens on big scales. I, I have a little bit of an advantage over you because I am six foot three. So I, I, I can at least like stick out a little bit uh, over the rest of the crowd but uh, I, I had it happen to me on a pretty big scale in the summer of 2012 I went to the Oceaga Music Festival on Ile Saint-Hélène in uh, Montreal a festival that I had been to before but in its very early days I know that makes me sound like such a hipster but I don't mean for it to make me sound like such yeah, a before hipster. it was so cool I Dave I, we know <laughs> <laughs> no, it was cool right from the start. No, no, it was cool right from the start. It just got much bigger because, <laughs> you know, because of cool people like me who uh, who shepherded it. But so and also Il Saint-Hélène, the, the, the concert, the concert venue there, Parc Jean Drapeau, is one that I'd been to a million times. That's where a lot of the big outdoor shows in Montreal had been. So I had almost a sense of... Um, unreasonable confidence going into that show, knowing that going to that festival that day thinking, Oh, I got this thing with the back of my hand. It's all good. Not kind of considering that when I went to Oceaga in the early days, you might get 10,000 people there on any given day or 15,000 people on any given day. But this particular Saturday that I went, there were like 70,000 people uh, in the venue. And I don't I, know if I've ever been to an event that large. Uh, I think that's the last time I've been to an event <laughs> that, large um, because I ended up deliberately leaving my friends. They wanted to watch the Arkells, great rock band from Kingston. I was feeling a little bit more hip hoppy. So Aesop Rocky was doing a show yes. uh, a little bit. A I'd little, go with you. Oh, thank you, Jenny. I mm -hmm. appreciate that. We could have gotten lost together, so to speak, because after the show, and uh, let's just say some indulgences in some things you might do at a rock show that were maybe not quite as legal in 2012 as they are today. <laughs> I went wandering back to the main stage to try and find my friends. And I sent a text because, you know, we were in the age of texting. Uh, Hey Bales, where where are you? How's it going? And she goes, "Oh, we're we're up on the mountain. You'll find us. You'll find us up on the mountain." And just to give you a, a paint a small picture, one of the cool things about Park Jean Drapeau is that half of the main stage area is essentially this elevated hill, so people can just put blankets down and sit there and spend all day on the hill if they want to. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. I'm going to go to the hill. There's going to be like a few patches of picnic blankets there. I'll find Bailey and Nastasia and like, we're all good. And then I get to the base of the hill 
and it's just a wall of humanity, a wall of humanity. But because there's no real markers or identifiers of relativity, like, oh, I'm a fifth no of landmarks the, I'm, or like, clues, nothing, just a wall of people, a literal wall of people. And of course, there's music playing, right? The music is bumping. It's a music festival. It's loud. And I go, oh, gosh, I can't call her. I can text her. But trying to communicate where she is via text, like, forget it. Now, I, I did I did walk up to the top and did a lap. And then I went back down the other side and did another lap. And I and I kind of strolled. And apparently they they saw me. They, they tracked me. They found me, but they couldn't communicate with me. I was too far away. So eventually I just bought some popcorn and a beer. And I found a tree <laughs> and, that was shady. And I just sat down underneath this tree ate my popcorn and was drinking my beer until eventually uh, Bailey walked by and she was like, we found you, we found you. And uh, I'll tell you, Jenny, the rest of the day, I did not stray particularly far from my group of friends. <laughs> That's such good advice. When you're lost, don't move, just stay put. Let them find you. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> Whether it's in the woods or at, yeah. at a music festival, just stay yeah. put. <laughs> Because that's oh, it. They, wow. they, they they got eyes on me in a way that I wasn't going to be able to get eyes on them. So uh, so yeah, I just found a spot that was under a tree, but still with maybe enough visibility down to the main pathway, and and there I was eating my popcorn, drinking my beer. Well, I'm really glad that they found you. And and <laughs> yeah, the, the best thing to do is to just, just just buy some popcorn and a beer. That's so something I would do, Dave. <laughs> Well, you know, it's one of these things where, like, obviously, it, it was a bit frustrating in the moment. Of but course. at the end of the day, it was it was a place that I knew. So even if I didn't see my friends the rest of the day, I would have enjoyed a music festival. I knew how to get home. There would have been, like, there was no danger there, right? But let's say we were at, um, like, Bonnaroo in Tennessee. Or let's say we were at, what, what's the big one in Palm Springs, California? Uh, Coachella mm -hmm. or, 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 um, or Lollapalooza. You know, if this had been in a place or a city that I didn't know, I would have been up a, a certain kind of creek without a paddle. Yeah, I I've never been to a festival that big. I've I would love to go to Bonnaroo. I would love to go to one of those. I'm a big fan of like jam bands and this kind of thing as well. Um the one festival that we used to go to pretty well every summer is just uh, I don't know, maybe a thousand people, but really awesome environment. Uh, but I was still really good at losing people. But again, <laughs> Like, I I knew how to get back to my tent, so I would always, you know, there was a bit of a ground zero, and we'd always find each other. Yeah, but I remember yeah. one time it, when I was living in Vancouver, we went to see Primus, and like you, I went in just like super confident. I was so pumped. I was like, whatever. I've been in so many mosh pits. Like, I, nothing's going to happen. I'm just going to be fine. My husband and I went, and um, didn't my glasses fall off in the mosh pit? No, like the one time. So I'm not back in my hometown where I can like put them in the case and put them on the PA system like where everybody knows me. I'm at, you know, this big show. So and I'm not wearing a glasses retainer at this point in my life. But that's when I quickly learned about glasses retainers. So my glasses flew off in the mosh pit and I by some miracle 
they did not get trampled on or broken. It was a miracle. What? I know. What? I know. So this is the day I thought to myself, maybe I should look into wearing a glasses retainer. Actually, it was my husband's idea. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> but now, if I, I haven't been in a mosh pit in a very long time. I think I might be approaching the age where I physically probably couldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> actually, no, I lie. I, I was... On the cusp of one at the offspring right before the pandemic hit. But that oh. was that floor was just too slippery for anyone to be safe on. But sometimes a mosh pit finds you, as is the way of mosh pits. Mm -hmm. See, Jenny, you're still pretty fit though. You're you know, you're doing your running and you're doing your exercise. I feel like you've got a little bit more durability than me, whereas I now have the bad ankles and the bad knees and the bad hips and the everything else that I know for a fact that I should not get into a mosh pit, but sometimes they find you. I was at a Wu Tang clan concert in the what? summer of 2013 might have been 2014 and the mosh pit formed around us and then you have to start making some decisions on elbows up dave well what is the protocol what is the protocol because <laughs> there are not a lot of random mosh pits that form in the city of ottawa let me tell you well, I'm glad you made it out alive. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> so, Dave, coming back to the Albino Mafia, we're an exclusive group. There aren't that many of us. I don't run into too many other people with albinism in the in in the mafia, the the Cosa Nostra. No, that's a different mafia. I don't run into too many other people with albinism in my day to day life. But when I do, it's kind of like a big deal, and I forever am struggling with. What is the appropriate reaction? What is the appropriate approach? And one example is for many years, there was a person with albinism living in my neighborhood, literally a street over. So this was like kind of unheard of <laughs> two, two people with albinism in this close vicinity. But so this guy, I actually knew this guy through a friend. They're the partner of a friend of mine. So we actually knew each other. We knew who we were. We knew each other's names. We'd, you know, pass each other on the sidewalk. But my husband and I were out for brunch one day. I was having chicken and waffles, to be specific. I've had all the chicken and waffles that is available in the city here. So um, I could make a list. You know, I love lists. But we're out for brunch and my husband says, Hey, I think there's a person with albinism sitting over there. And that's often how it happens is like, I don't notice them. Mm -hmm. It's usually someone we? else. How would we? Yeah. Right. It's usually someone else like, Hey, I think that person might have albinism over there. And so we're both kind of looking and staring and you're like, I don't want to stare. Like that's, I don't like when people stare at me, but you're like, do I know this one? Is, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. What are they doing mm -hmm. in my do neighborhood? I have I, <laughs> you know, have we crossed? paths before and and I was like are you sure it's not so and so the you know the person that we know and he's like no it's a new it's a new different person I was like what and they're like so close I could have just shouted him and like hey man albino mafia but like what <laughs> that's the most awkward shit what do you do? what do you do because I don't do anything I do nothing so I, I'm probably closer to the do nothing unless there's kind of an explicit meeting that has occurred. So I've had the privilege of interviewing a bunch of Paralympians over the years for AMI. And typically if there's one that I'm interviewing who ends up being uh, having albinism, 
I, I, I'll at least make mention of it either before I start interviewing them or after I started interviewing them, just so they maybe understand that if I ask them a question that's, that's very albinism centric, that it's coming from a position of empathy, not like sympathy or not like morbid curiosity or like kind of a grosser curiosity. Um, so that, that typically is my approach in a professional environment. I, Jenny, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of an encounter I've had necessarily in public with somebody else with albinism, but can I also tell you a story about an albino in my neighborhood who, yeah. maybe, bro who maybe broke the albino code? <laughs> yeah, tell me, tell me. So when I was 18, 19 years old, there was another guy who was right about the same age, similar height, similar build, similar everything, and lived somewhere in NDG, somewhere in my neighborhood. Let's call it a 10 to 12 block radius of where I lived. So a lot of the same places that we'd end up going. And most of my family lived in that 10, 12 block radius as well. So my grandmother, who was in her early 80s at the time, went to the pharmacy at the Coats and Lake Shopping Center one day, and she spots an albino. And she thinks to herself, oh my gosh, that's David. I'm going to go say hi to my grandson. So she goes up to this, to this guy and goes, hi, David, how are you? It's nice to see you. And he just completely blows her off. Like completely is like, who's this crazy old lady at the Cote Luke shopping center? What is happening over here? So I get home from school that night. And my dad is waiting for me in the house. And he goes, what did you do to your grandmother? And I'm like, what did I do to my grandmother? What, what did I do to your grandmother? What's I don't wrong know. With my grandmother? He's, he's like, you were at the Cote St. Luke shopping center today and you were so rude to her. Why would you do that? Good dad, I'm like, I'm in school all day. I've been in class since eight o'clock this morning. I'm getting home right now. I haven't been to the Cote St. Luke shopping center. And he goes, well, there was someone like you. And then my mom starts laughing in the kitchen <laughs> and he goes, what's so funny? There's nothing funny about this. And she goes, Greg, it's the other neighborhood albino. <laughs> she saw the other neighborhood albino. It wasn't David. And then my dad starts laughing. Now, now getting my, my parents on board with this was not a problem, but uh, calling my grandmother and telling her, Grandma, you know, there's another albino in the neighborhood. It wasn't me. It was the other guy. Uh, I think to her dying day, she never truly believed she me. She didn't but believe me, you. That's but, sad. But let me tell you, the Coates and Luke uh, shopping center is where my gym was at the time. So a few weeks later, I was coming out of the gym and I was in that pharmacy <laughs> buying Powerade and my grandmother was there and I proactively <laughs> went to her. You I was better. like, Grandma, I was like, Grandma, it's Dave. Like, how are you? Now, here was my risk. It, very possibly might not have been my grandmother uh with considering my legal blindness and all but thankfully i guessed right and uh and and, and all was averted i think i think i got some brownie points that day oh my god <laughs> yeah oh so, dave oh so dave the joke, so the joke amongst my friends in the neighborhood is like this guy was just blowing up my spot he was the evil albino in the right. neighborhood uh trying to make my bizarro life dave yeah bizarro <laughs> dave rude to old people <laughs> I can't believe that actually happened. That doesn't even sound it doesn't, it doesn't sound real, but I believe you. 
just... if, if they if they put that in a Hallmark movie or put that in like a sort of like I, I don't know if meet cute is the right word, but if they kind of like implied something like that around a meet cute, people would say no, it's not believable. It's it not doesn't believable sound real. Uh, I get the I get I get people um, out on the town who think I'm this other person with albinism, and I've talked about it before on the podcast. We're like, no, I'm not them. And why would I lie? And I'm not related. No, I'm also not related to that person with albinism. Like, why is that so hard for you to believe? And why would I lie? What do I have to gain here? In in one instance, someone thought I was a Paralympian. And I was like, no, dude, that's not me. And like, I should have taken full advantage and got some autographs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's also a nice compliment. Like, it really speaks to your running routine, uh, show paying dividends. Sh- sure. Yeah, you know what? I never thought about that. Like, yeah, I must be in tip-top shape if you think I'm a freaking <laughs> Paralympian. All right, then. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, geez. So, Dave. I, I think I have a better understanding now of the exclusive organization that is the albino mafia. Let's be honest, though. I think we would make not great criminals, speaking for myself anyway. Anything that requires sneaking or not leaving behind long white hairs. Can you imagine? <laughs> They're like, well, we found a long white hair on the scene. Let's round up the three albinos in town because it's one of them. Like, can you? We've run some tests. They're albino. And there's yeah, like three dude. of us. <laughs> Despite what the Da Vinci Code and the Matrix uh, suggested, albinos don't make for great assassins. I would love that if we did, but it's just not the case. (laughs) But we have other secrets that we will not be divulging today. I have one more question, though, for you, Dave. Hit me. What is the best thing about having albinism for you? I, I think I identified it a little bit to you before, Jenny, is that because I'm so tall and because I stand out, when I do go out with my friends, they get a little bit of the opposite of the experience that I have, which is I end up being a little bit of a beacon of <laughs> where are people in the bar, or in the club or in the restaurants? Ah, there's Dave. I like that. That's great. For me, it's really it's similar, but maybe a little bit. What's the word? A little bit more philosophical um for me me. it's like i always say in shit like i'm not special like what you know there's nothing special about me i'm not you know there's nothing particularly exciting about me i'm just a person okay but everybody wants to be special everybody wants to stand out right that's what a lot of people really want and and i you and i kind of do that naturally whether we want to that Mm -hmm. day or not and i don't know i think it has its advantages like you said you're easy to pick out in a crowd i'm certainly easy to pick out in a crowd i'm recognizable so i don't know there's there's that level of i'm i'm unique without even trying like we woke up like this and the hair we have great (laughs) hair just right just 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 that on its own is i think a a perk in itself so i can't thank you enough for helping me better understand what the albino mafia truly is (laughs) jenny i need to thank you for for diving a little bit deeper and doing almost this uh, little fbi report uh, together between the two of us and after such a beautiful honest thoughtful response like that i it almost sounds uh flippant to give you my outside looking in what's great about being an albino i love that i can justify spending 300 (laughs) glasses 
didn't expect you to say that. My glasses are way too expensive. They cost way too much. But nice sun. Yeah. yeah see, you don't. So do you? You don't wear prescription glasses all the time, Dave. N- not for my sunglasses. No. Okay. So do you wear contacts? No, no. I would be terrified of putting something in my eye. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So yeah. For example, right now, I sh- maybe I should have mentioned it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not actually wearing my glasses. You're I'm not. In my, I'm, I'm in my home office where I've got the lights maybe at a quarter on the dimmer. Yeah. So no spotlights on me. So I, I felt comfortable just not not wearing glasses for this. And your eyes don't get tired without your glasses. Ooh, good. That's a good question. I. I just think that I get in the habit of, unless I'm wearing them for professional reasons, I'm, I'm happier not to be wearing them. I almost wonder if the fatigue goes the other way because I'm not actively trying to look at things when I'm not working. I'm just sort of letting the world come to me that I don't, that, that almost like wearing the glasses, I find more fatiguing. Wow. I can't relax like that with you. I'm always trying to look at everything, but <laughs> I think, I think, I feel like I've taken enough of your time today, Dave. It's, it's so good to finally have you on the podcast. I'm sorry it t- took so long and, um, we're going to have to do this again, but before mm-hmm. you go, is there, do you have any other final thoughts? Just, I, I wanted to express how much I enjoy the show and I enjoy what you're doing. I love the vibe and the attitude you bring to these conversations. I think that many different ways to talk about disability is good. Sometimes it needs to be earnest. Sometimes it needs to be honest. Sometimes it needs to be a little bit zany. And I think you do all of those three, three things beautifully. Um, I admire you as a broadcaster and I admire, and I've admired you as a person for a long time. And I was beyond delighted to get the invitation. Dave, likewise, man. Man, you are the vibe. Please. You are <laughs> I the <try>. vibe. <laughs> well, Jenny, next time let's do this over beers. Oh my God. Yeah, let's mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. You know I'm down. Well, anyone that knows me well knows that I love a good gangster movie, a good mafia story, good fellas, once upon a time in America. These are movies I could watch over and over. And they're pretty scary. But the albino mafia clearly not something to fear. And if you want more of that Dave Brown vibe, you should check out Now with Dave Brown weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on AMI-tv and then in podcast format on all of your favorite platforms. And if you're watching or listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed, what are you doing? You should really hit subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. And if you would like to apply to join the Alba I know Mafia, or if you have feedback or suggestions for the podcast, feel free to leave a comment on YouTube, of course, or you can send us an email to podcasts at ami.ca, or you can leave a voicemail at 1-866-509-4545. Once more, the phone number is 1-866-509-4545. Just make sure to mention low vision moments in the message, please, and thank you. You can also come and follow me on Instagram if that is your thing. I'm there under uberblonde4. That's U-B-E-R-B-L-O-N-D-E and the number four. Mark Aflalo is our technical producer. Ryan DeLahanty is our podcast coordinator. And neither of them is in the Albino Mafia. Thanks to manager at AMI-audio, Andy Frank. He is an honorary member. Thank you all so much for watching and listening and supporting Low Vision Moments. You're what makes it all worth it, guys. Until next time, 
If they find a long white hair at the scene of the crime, it's not mine. It's not mine. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.